0: Hello, this is Daniel Poppy, pastor at Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Well, imagine a... uh brisk fall evening, a Friday night in early 2000s. This might predate some of you, but for those of you who are around in the early 2000s, um, Melissa and I, we were in our church community and we had gathered for one of those special weekend services. Those, they used to call them revival services or evangelism, whatever we would call them. We were having those where there's services Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday. You know, if you've been around the church very long, you, re- you likely have some familiarity with these. The ones where the special speaker comes in, they're usually called an evangelist, and we'd have those two to three nights of extra services uh, that are outside of our normal corporate rhythms as a church. Some people in the congregation live for these weekends, And many people were kind of dragged along because they were good or their parents made them go. Um, But whatever the reason, like it was a a, a bit diversive. But on this night, right away, things started happening that made it obvious we were in store for something different. And perhaps that things were about to get really weird. Uh, First of all, the, the evangelist, his name was Darren Lindley, he wasn't wearing one of those kind of baggy, slick suits. He was wearing black jeans and Airwalks and a black sweater. Uh, and as he begins to preach, from a holster on his hip, in 2000, from a holster on his hip, he pulls out a device, flicks up his stylus, and he reads the scripture from a Palm Pilot. <laughs> I mean, these days, we all have the Bible on our phone, and. But he was the first one I saw, and I had a Palm Pilot, and I, after that weekend, went and tried to figure out how to get my Bible on there and use it. Oh, man. Uh, You know, he started by warning us that he wouldn't be preaching for very long that night, but that we were all in store for an experience that was about to change our lives. You know, he only preaches for about 10 minutes, and he's preaching from some of the same passages that we've been in in the beginning of Acts, you know, likely talking about one of Peter or Paul's uh, missionary excursions. And he begins pointing out that the work of the evangelist, while seeming mystical and seeming scary is really not that hard that it did not require any special education and it even didn't really require a unique set of skills, that anyone could do it and that he was about to show us how, learning to ask God two very simple questions would allow each of us in that room tonight, that night, to experience living out the work of God in a way that maybe we never had before. That these two questions that we would all be memorizing just through the repetition that night, that they would frame the rest of our meeting together, the rest of that weekend, but likely would become a guiding principle for us throughout the rest of our lives. And here I am, 22 years later, preaching to you about these two questions. He pointed out how Peter, Paul, Philip, Stephen, Barnabas, Timothy, all of those that we read about in the New Testament church, were really following these questions, but they also had a couple of pretty simple things in common. First, they were followers of Christ in that they had received the power of the Holy Spirit. Second, that they were committed to the work of seeing God's kingdom and the story of Jesus go into the world. They were committed Three, they were obedient to follow God step by step, even when the path ahead seemed uncertain. They were obedient. And fourth, they were humble, teachable, multiple, correctable, pliable enough that when mistakes were made, they took correction and they kept at it. So the four characteristics that Darren was pointing out to us, filled with the Holy Spirit, sanctified by the blood committed obedient and humble so darren said that armed with these two questions these these all these armed with these simple characteristics and then two questions that we too would find ourselves in the middle of god's story any guesses what those questions might be You know, what? It, it, again, it's only been about 20 minutes in this service. I mean, we've already gone past that in our service this morning. The worship band, you know, just played one song at the beginning. I think it was more just to get people in. You know, you know oftentimes you're in the foyer until you hear that first song and then you come in. Um, you know, so it hadn't been that long, just a single song, about 15 minutes of preaching. And it feels like the service is about to end. It's about to pray and we'll go home. But at this point, Darren instructs everyone in the room to break up the chairs and to get in groups of three or four. Preferably people that you don't always hang out with. Uh, He said that there should be at least one teenager or child in the room. And that uh, in each group there must be at least one person who had a car and could drive. Right? You know, so, and this was a charismatic church we were attending, this was a four square church. So likely things had been more weird before, but um, you know, in this case, this was starting to be pretty weird. And there was definitely a a, a nervous energy kind of building in the room. Um, So now we're in these groups of three to four and Darren Lindley instructs the circle to pray the following prayer, something like this, Lord, I love you and I'm listening. Please speak to me in this moment. Kind of a typical prayer of illumination, typical prayer that we might pray as we enter time with the Lord. And then he asks us to pray these two questions to God. Lord, where do you want me to go? And who do you want to bless? Where do you want me to go and who do you want to bless? So then the instructions were to keep our eyes closed and to remain in a posture and attitude of prayer until a clear image or word or idea popped into our head, no matter how abstract or random it might feel. But as soon as we felt like something clearly came into our mind, we were to open our eyes and uh, wait for the others in our group to open their eyes as well. And then we were then to share what we heard. So, you know, at this time, I'm like 22, you know, we're in college. Uh, Melissa and I are newlyweds. You know, we'd just been married about a year and a half. We were, the, we were some of the youth sponsors. There was a youth leader, but we were youth sponsors. So Melissa and I had paired up because we weren't gonna get split up. Um, one of our teenagers was in our group, Aaron, and then I, we were trying to remember, I think Ron was with us. I think there was a fourth. Let's, for this story's sake, just say Ron was with us. Ron was one of our good friends. He was, you know, um, he was in his, he was old. He was in his (sighs) forties. Had a really cool flat top. Uh, you know, but we open our eyes and we look at each other. And Ron says, well, what'd you guys get? Aaron, the teenager, right away says, I saw a triangle. right, okay. Uh, Melissa said, I think I just saw really bright lights, something like that. Ron said he felt like he saw a pair of eyeglasses. And I had to admit that clear as day, I saw a red flannel shirt as we were praying. It was kind of post-grunge 2000, so a red flannel shirt's not that crazy. <laughs> but that's what I felt like I saw. A triangle, bright lights, sunglasses, and a red flannel shirt. So Darren, the cool evangelist, is browsing around the room, and as each group finishes up their praying time, and he can see them like looking and, and chatting with each other, uh, he kind of swoops in, and he has us all share with him what we heard. And then he looks at us and he says, you have been asked to do one very simple thing tonight. Go and find a triangle, bright lights, sunglasses, or eyeglasses, a red flannel shirt, and be loving, curious, normal people to whomever you encounter. Like normal was like, (laughs) really? Like how are we gonna be normal to someone like as we approach them? Yes, yeah, striking up a conversation with a total stranger, but not being kind of creepy or weird about it, unless you want it, I guess. But, you know, but just to enter into a, a moment with someone, recognizing that the Lord had put them on our hearts and had led us to them. Letting them know how important, how loved, how special they are the point is that god is already at work in everyone's heart in our creation in those around us and that as we've been preaching over the last three or four weeks it's our job to attempt to discern where the lord is working and to join in that work you know i want to If you want, you know, Darren, again, giving his instructions to us, he said, if you want to tell them that God is so interested in them specifically on this night, that he led you, four strangers across town with visions and words of revelation, just to tell them that Jesus loves them, you can go that route too. As we've been learning from the journeys of Peter and last week, as Grace uh, told us of one of Paul's journeys, and as we again this week will continue hearing of Paul's journeys. We recognize that the experiences that those committed to seeing that first century church spreading across the world, that their experiences were probably a lot like what Melissa and Aaron And myself and Ron were experiencing that night in 2000. We didn't have all the clues. We didn't even fully know what we were supposed to do once we encountered this person. We just knew that God was speaking, that he was good, and that we could trust him. you know, last week as Grace was preaching, I had to laugh because, you know, she was describing the planning that she put into her camping trip with Jason down into Arizona and like just plan after plan and contingency plans and, you know, all that. And that's how we approach so much of life, isn't it? And I think oftentimes that's how we approach our faith. That's how we approach the way God works. Because, you know, we don't like when things go wrong. We don't like when all of a sudden we're off the map and we're in unknown territory. And if that's happening, oftentimes we blame ourselves. We think, well, I just didn't prepare enough. Or maybe we blame God. God didn't make it clear enough what he wanted me to do in the first place. You know, and it's, it's kind of crazy that we carry those ex- same expectations into our faith journey. We're risk-averse people. We don't expect things to go wrong, and we certainly don't want them to go wrong. We want a clear path, and we don't want any stress along the way. But at least from my experience, as we look at scripture, and as even we've lived out our lives of faith, It just doesn't tend to work out that way. Uncertainty, challenge, sometimes even outright opposition, uh, it happens. It comes up. Living a life in partnership with the kingdom is not easy, but it was never promised that it would be, was it? You know, even looking at Jesus' words in Luke 14, when the crowds were growing and ever- growing number of people were coming after Jesus, he warned the crowds that they should expect to encounter loss and trouble, and that they should count the costs of the kingdom before following. It could be dangerous, and it was certainly countercultural. this message that Christ was giving. But the work is the only plan. It's how the world is to experience the kingdom of God. is through God's work in the world and then through us. To find where God is at work and to join him in that work. Let's open the scripture this morning. We're gonna be in Acts chapter 16. It'll be on the screens for you. You're welcome to turn there in your Bibles. Acts 16. (coughs) beginning in verse 16. One day as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a female slave <laughs> who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners great, a great deal of money by fortune telling. While she was following Paul and us, she would cry out, these men are slaves of the, mo- of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days. Paul, finally, I think very much annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out at that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope for making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, these men, these Jews are disrupting our city and are advocating for customs that are not lawful for us being Romans to adopt and to observe. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After that, after they had been given a severe flogging, they were then thrown into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in stalks. Paul and his companions are living out a daily act of obedience in following the Holy Spirit as they were guided to the place where God wanted them to go and to whom he wanted them to bless. But this story like, seems a little odd. I mean, it's worth mentioning that you know, Paul and his companions being Jews were definitely out of place in the location where they were, Philippi, a, a, a Roman outpost, essentially. You know, Grace gave us some good history on Philippi last week, um, but it's, it's good to recognize that this is a, a, a crossroads community on the kind of outskirts of the Roman territory, that this kind of crossroads place was likely full of people of all nations, diversities. You know, it was a trade route, so it was likely full of merchants and soldiers and then all of the people who come and make money off of travelers, you know, so the peddlers and all those kind of things and um, many who would profit by serving the, the people who were in this community. Sometimes even opportunists, like the slave owners of this girl who was guided by evil spirits to give fortunes. You know, for any who have traveled overseas or lived other countries, or maybe just spent time in some of our city centers around the the United States, you might begin to picture what this location might have been like. You know, for me, the thing that immediately comes to mind is Divisoria, which is like a uh, a market location in downtown Manila, Philippines. At the time, Manila was a country of, or Manila was a city with a population of about 16 million. And Divisoria was like a four to five block square that I mean, yeah, you could get cheap DVDs and a pair of Adidas for a dollar, but the Adidas was spelled wrong. And uh, you had to keep your eye on your wallet and it was good to keep your situational awareness going. And if you wandered into the wrong place or you said the wrong thing, you might offend somebody and there wasn't any help. You know, certainly it was a shady place, much like what Paul and his his friends were experiencing. And you know, it's the kind of place where you wanna keep your wits about you and keep your cool. But Paul doesn't keep his wits about him or his cool when dealing with this girl. We see in the story, the young slave girl who, you know, man, it doesn't say this, but I can imagine, you know, being oppressed by a spirit. And now these these individuals who were obviously filled with the Holy Spirit, probably like a compass needle drawn to true north. She was like on them, right? Following them, recognizing them as her potential source of freedom. You know, but she's following them around and proclaiming out loud the truth of who they are and what they're proclaiming. You know, and I guess the thing that blows my mind is why didn't they just heal her right off? on the first day, or maybe you know, take her somewhere somewhat private to cast out the demon. You know, did he know the risk involved in avoiding the, unavo- in the unavoidable? Or, uh, you know, by avoiding the inevitable for so long, did this situation somehow become more complex, harder for them? You know, probably. We don't know, but what we do know is that Paul and Silas and the others who do this event, do this healing, are suddenly in a very tight spot. You know, one thing we know for certain, there are a handful, many malevolent forces that seem to be continually at play in the world. We see them in this passage of scripture. We experience them in our world. Forces that when approached flippantly or reactionary, can be dangerous. Demonic spirits, the girls oppressed by a demon. Greed, the way people make money, the way people are propped up in their power, in their institutions, in their reputations. Greed, and finally prejudice or bias. You know, there's one thing that our world really relies on. It's knowing that there's somebody out there who's doing something that I don't like or is worse off than me, you know, an us versus them mentality, right? The demonic, greed, prejudice. And Paul steps right into the middle of all three of these in this healing. So did he mess up? Was this exactly what God had in mind all along? I don't know. You know, a lot of people who read scripture fairly literally, sure, this is the way God orchestrated it. But I don't think that's necessary. And I think it's okay to say, you know, what if Paul had done it differently? God does not delight in anyone's suffering. We do know that. God does not delight in pain. But we often find that our actions or even the decisions and actions of others around us point us and guide us down paths that have consequences. You know, sometimes these are bad, sometimes these are good consequences. You know, often, and usually they're out of our control, but that comes with the free agency that we have, right? And the free agency that others have in the world around us. We're often, I don't know about if victims is the right word, but we also often encounter the... the um, the the reactions, the outcomes of people's decisions. God wanted this slave girl to be free, we do know that. Free from the grip of the demonic forces plaguing her, that's for sure. We also can be pretty confident that when Paul and Silas were flogged in that city square, that God was pretty grieved over that as well. That the pain and suffering that his children were enduring, that that broke God's heart. He was probably also grieved that this situation turned out in such a way that instead of the whole community recognizing the glory of God, that again, a deeper division was made between the Jews and the Romans in this situation. But God does not abandon Paul and Silas. The story goes on. Learning to trust God and to see, allow God to see us through trial and hardship is part of the faith journey for all believers. And I believe this is why we have this story in Acts. You know, maybe not necessarily, hey, you need to do things in such a way that you get flogged. I think we have this story in Acts so we can see this second part of the story. So continuing in Acts 16, beginning, picking up the story in verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened when the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were wide open, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself since he, was supposed, since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But, but Paul shouted in a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Quick, quick note on that, on that uh, verse. One of our favorite historians, N.T. Wright, has a paraphrase of that verse and he says it like this. Sirs, what must I do to get out of this mess? We recognize that salvation was the result, but at that time, The jailer was not thinking about salvation of his heart and his eternity with Christ. He was thinking about, what do I do to get out of this mess? I'm about to be in big trouble. So continuing verse 31, they answered, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And at the same hour of night, he took them and washed their hands, washed their wounds. Then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them into the house and he set food before them and he and his entire household rejoiced for he had become a believer in God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Wow, what a turn. We go from Paul and Silas being dragged into the city square, publicly humiliated, stripped of their clothing, flogged, and tossed into jail, to yet another miraculous moment that leads to many lives being touched. And I think that we have a clue to the scenario in verse 25. Just hours after their flogging, and now being in irons and centered in this nasty place, Paul and Silas are singing and worshiping? Whom among us would be doing, we'd we'd probably be praying, but we'd probably be praying like, Lord, help me, save me. What has gone wrong? We would be lamenting, we would be in despair because we likely would have felt pretty forsaken and abandoned by God. I think it would be justifiable to feel that way, but that's not what we see Paul and Silas doing. What was unique to their experience? What was unique in their hearts that allowed them to be worshiping God at that moment? When mentioned, you know, we mentioned this earlier, but here again, Paul and Silas seem to be demonstrating a couple of characteristics, a couple of traits that are really important for us as believers and followers of the way. Hope and belief in Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. A commitment to his work in doing that work in the world, even when things get hard. Obedience to follow one step at a time, even when we don't know really the end result or where we're headed. And a humble, teachable, moldable, pliable heart, willing to take correction and guidance. Could it be that our obedience, our faith, our humility, our belief in Christ, when fueled by the Holy Spirit, might be the exact antidote that we need to combat demonic, greed, prejudice, evil forces that we encounter? I think so. Could it be that our obedience, our faith, humility, filling and guiding of the Holy Spirit is the exact antidote we need to combat the demonic greed and prejudice. Clearly, there's much more at work in these accounts in scripture, and the challenges we face are multi level, they're multi dimensional. Andy would say they're nuanced. <laughs> but certainly, God is focused on breaking the chains of evil. In our world, and he wants us to join in that work. Sometimes the way he asks us to join him is surprising. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it goes really well. And recognizing that there seem to be a few characteristics that guide us and aid us in this work is especially meaningful and important for us today. Belief, commitment, obedience, and humility. And as we have been discussing throughout this series, there is just one plan for how God intends to accomplish his work in the world. And that's for you and I to ask God, where are you working and where are you moving and to join him in that work. We're not left on our own to kind of get this work done through our own power. And conversely, God's not out there just doing it all by himself despite us. We might miss out on an opportunity and someone else would step in, but it's still gonna happen through his faithful people. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. So picking up our story, a triangle, bright lights, eyeglasses. You know, Darren, oh, and the red flannel shirt. Darren, the evangelist, um, you browse around the room, heard what we shared, and he said, you've been given one simple task tonight, to go find the triangle, the bright lights, the eyeglasses, the red flannel, and be loving people to whomever God leads you to yeah striking up a conversation with the total stranger might be weird in our culture but god is still at work and connecting us to one another doing things a di- bit differently it felt like we were about to embark on like this holy scavenger hunt <laughs> and that seems like what we hear a lot in the stories in the book of acts you know we're we're kind of still in the room here Uh, that night and the nervous energy that we kind of were all feeling growing was now starting to turn out into outright fear for some people. I still remember looking across the room and making meeting eyes with Michelle Hargis. She was one of like the older moms in our group and like this is in Nampa, Idaho so a farming lady boots and jeans every week and as I met Michelle's eyes like her neck and her cheeks were a color of red. I don't know that I've seen before. And she had these like br- big eyes. She was like, what is going on? You know? Uh, you know, at this point, everyone starts filing out of the room. And so our group does the same. We, we follow Ron to his car and we start aimlessly driving around our town. Uh, we're kind of all nervous, asking one another if we know what we're supposed to, what are we supposed to be doing. Nobody knows. We're just driving around town. And, you know, some 10 or 15 minutes later, <laughs> Melissa shouts from the back, there it is. And sure enough, emblazoned in huge lit up sign over the mall of our local town is a giant white triangle backlit against the night sky. So I guess we found our place. So now let's go find some eyeglasses and a red flannel, right? So we park, we go into the mall, we're walking up and down the corridors. Yeah, and before too long, there's a guy with glasses and a red flannel. Like what are the odds, right? 2000, it's pretty good, but still, uh, what are the odds that we would be there looking for that guy? Zero, right? So in one way, we're excited because wow, this is actually working. But of course, we're kind of terrified at the prospect of now what? We saw all the signs, we heard the Lord, and now it seems that he's led us to a very specific person. We couldn't help but acknowledge God was at work and he's asking us to join. You know, um, And here's the part that got hard, and probably the part that would give all of us sweaty palms if we thought about it. You know, not all of us revel in the idea of walking up to a stranger. Maybe I just don't like it a lot. Maybe some of you guys love it. (laughs) There are people in the grocery store who just walk up to me and just start, I'm like, who are you? (laughs) You know, we decided probably not to overwhelm this poor guy. Uh, So, Um, just ron and i decide to approach melissa and aaron hang back and we wander up to this guy you know and maybe not surprisingly he's pretty eager to talk we start up a chat we're um, just covering all the bases of name occupation family uh but without much prompting for us, he begins talking about how he had lost his job recently and he was really not really sure what to do next. You know, things weren't dire or desperate, but you know, definitely going through a, a, a season of change in his life. And that change carries some uncertainty, some trepidation. You know, he was pretty open about sharing that. And we were able to empathize and to hear his story and to tell our own experiences of similar things. And, you know, in small ways, starting to say, you know, and, you know, God made me, brought me through it, gave me hope, gave me faith, you know, things like that. Just little things. I don't remember much about what we talked about, but I do remember Ron saying, hey, could we pray with you? And sometimes taking that step in a public place is, scary for us, but you know, in our circumstance, clearly that was maybe the next step. Could I pray with you? I don't remember too much about what we prayed that night, but I do remember that, you know, when we were done, red flannel guy, tears running down his face. We're just so grateful that a couple of people took little time out of their day to hear and to share a moment with him. You know, if if we had done it the way Paul does it, Peter did it, we'd say, "Okay, can we now go home with you?" And we'll stay with you for 3 or 4 days and we'll continue to preach for you and then you and your household will all be saved. And we'll baptize you in the backyard. We could have done that. You know, I'd say if God's leading you that way, sure, ask, but you know, in our case, it was clear that at that moment, that night, God showed us where do you want us to go and who do you want us to bless? We trust that the seeds that we play, the seeds that are planted through us and through the various work of God in people's lives, that those seeds lead us each to saving grace and are a part of God's work in this world. The term evangelism can be a scary term for us. Some of us have baggage from the evangelical church that we experience through fundamentalism, through maybe other sin or corruption or whatever, but we carry baggage from this idea of evangelism. But if we consider God loving others through us in natural, normal ways, the term evangelism doesn't seem quite so scary. The term evangelism, bringing up ideas of preaching on a street corner or always approaching strangers, you know, that for some people is a turnoff. But you know what? God's evangelism doesn't work only in one way. The point is are you compelled by the work that God's done in your life? Are you committed to seeing that happen for others? Are you willing to be obedient? And are you willing to be humble in the way God asks you to join in that work? To be people with belief, to be people who are committed, to be people who are obedient, and to be people who are humbled is what God is asking of us. May we be willing to ask, where do you want me to go? And who do you want me to bless? All right, so if we could now break the chairs up and we'll all get in groups of three or four. Just joking, just joking. Um, Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this moment together. God, for a moment to reflect and to, process in this place the various feelings and emotions we carry in on any given Sunday especially this week with such a unique news cycle and God thank you for your word and thank you for the promise that you gave that your people would receive power and that we would become your witnesses to Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. Lord, as we pursue you in this work, may you guide us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And God, as we now come to your table, may we encounter your presence within our bodies in a very real tangible way through the sacrament, but also through the work and the move of your spirit. As we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.